Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am so thrilled to dive into today's episode. Miss Annalyn McCord is joining us, and it is a good one. So sit back, grab a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. So before we dive into today's episode, I want to make sure everyone knows there is a trigger warning in this episode, not only for sexual assault, but child abuse. Um, Annalyn is awesome, and this episode is light and fun, although we touch on some very heavy topics, but there is a trigger warning. So we recorded this episode a few weeks back, and I have been excited to air it ever since. Um, Annalyn is a very well-known actress. You have seen her in TV shows like Nip Tuck and 90210 and countless films. And she's just a really beautiful, down-to-earth human being. And she's recently been in the news a lot because she came forward with her diagnosis of having disassociative identity disorder. And it's been really awesome to watch her use her platform to speak out on mental health and destigmatizing it and really kind of breaking down what this diagnosis is. And, you know, it's a lot of times been looked at in a much more scary, unknown light. And I feel like the way that she's been opening up about it has really helped break down some of those walls and judgments around it. She is an advocate that does incredible work for sex trafficking, and she's just a really special human. Um, We talk a lot on this episode about mental health and some ways that, you know, she resonated with my story, um, with some heavy things that she's been through in her life. She has definitely been around the block on the trauma department. And her story was really fascinating for me to hear. So I'm so excited that she'll be joining us today. Without further ado, here is Annalyn McCord. Miss Annalyn McCord, welcome to FML Talk, girl. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see your face again. We had you last on Unzipped, so that was super cool. I know. Um, I'm so glad that you and Shanae started that podcast. It's been so great tuning into it, um, and I will be sending all of my FMLers over to go check it out. Um, but I'm so excited to talk to you. You know, I we kind of worked together on a film, uh, a Western that we did a couple of years ago, but I've obviously recently been seeing you a lot in the news and I'm just really proud of you for speaking out. We talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and it's just been really great to see someone like you really speaking out about what you've been going through recently. Thank you. I, I, uh, I know your, you know, your story with 
Javier. <laughs> um, it, it was, it struck a chord with me, your ability to understand what he may or may not have been going through due to the loss of his brother. And I actually took my own journey through trains through Europe uh, back uh, in 2008, right when I kind of knew we had just filmed the first season of 90210. And I knew that I was probably never going to be able to take trains around Europe again, or at least not without, you know, a little incognito-ness going on. Right, right. And it hadn't fully hit yet. It, it, it had hit, but it was, you know, it was the beginning. And so I took a one-way flight to London, which you cannot do anymore. You have to have round trips now. But I took a right. one-way trip to London. I figured out trains to hotels by the day as I moved around. And I had an incident that really hit uh, my my deepest, darkest parts while I was traveling and I was in Madrid and you had mentioned, you know, your, uh, your book, you know, taking place in the streets of Barcelona. And it was actually Barcelona that my older sister, Angel flew with 17 hours notice, ran from left work, ran and got on a plane and came to Barcelona to meet me there because I had attempted suicide the night before in Madrid. Oh, wow. In a hotel room wow. that I had locked myself in for 36 hours. And I stopped myself. I got out of the situation. I went when I was able to get on her time zone, you know, to, to talk to her. She just went to the airport and got on a plane. And Barcelona actually became this like, you know, beautiful gift because it was just like if I could just get the train to get me to Barcelona, I was going to be okay because yeah. Angel was going to be there and, and everything was going to be all right. So to hear about a sibling losing their sibling to suicide and knowing how close uh, we've, we've come to experiencing that in my family and, 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 and multiple like on her side and on my side. And like, we oh, both wow. have, we both have had close calls with that. And it was just like, I really appreciated that even though you were completely devastated as anyone would be with this, just having this whirlwind romance and then almost having the romantic trip that everyone dreams of, of, of books and movies, and then to have it just ripped away from you. And, and instead of hating that person, you went on the journey that you went on and found compassion for him. I really personally appreciate that because a lot of people really don't understand suicide. They don't understand suicidality. They don't understand what it's like to be a suicide loss survivor, uh, yeah. like all the different aspects of that. And so I'm happy that you talk about mental health. I'm happy that it's a forum that mm -hmm. you've invited me here to speak about some of the things I've dealt with. The biggest thing for me is these stories, they just weigh us down. So how many times do we, we rehash what we go through before it's like, okay, what are we, let's take the little nuggets out. Let's, you know, yeah. you, you speed through the, the, you know, the context so that you, people understand the context, but not getting married to the story is, is crucial for healing. And I know that mm -hmm. you know that from, from, you know, your journey and, and anyone on this path, it, it's, the labels and the diagnoses and the, the treatments and all this stuff, the second that it becomes your identity, 
you're back in the a whole nother world of hurt that you're going to have to deal with, you know, two years, 10 years from now. So one totally. of the biggest things for me, I think is, is discussing it in a really flippant, candid way. Like, yeah, yeah. So I was abused. I had a bunch of shit happen. It was really horrible. Yeah. I tried to kill myself. Yeah. I cut my arms up. Yeah. I did a lot of dark stuff, but you can hear in my voice where I am with it, that yeah. I, I don't take anyone's journey lightly, except my own. I take it extremely right. lightly because <laughs> I'm done with it being heavy. It was heavy for way too long. I take it very, 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 very lightly because I'm thankfully, you know, a good way through it. And you have to, you have to go through it. You can't, yeah. you know, you have to, you really have to, uh, there's no way past it except through it. You you really yeah. have to go through the muck. You got to feel it to heal it. And then when you do that, fucking do whatever. Like laugh about it. Make morbid jokes like me and all my friends' yeah. trauma. Um, well, I think, I think too, you know, like for me personally, I'll, you know, post videos online about my story and about what I went through and I'll like, you know, make light of things now that I'm past it and healed and people are like, oh, it doesn't seem like you're over it. It's like, no, I'm able to talk about this and be light about it because I've healed from it and because I've done the work yeah. about it. So I think that because there's been such a stigma around mental health that when we can come onto platforms like this and talk about it in an open way that makes it like, uh, yeah, we've all gone through it in some capacity. It kind of lets people let their guard down and be like, oh, okay, I can resonate with that. Like I, it's not, not normal to go through. Absolutely. And we, we actually, well, it almost kind of is normal. Unfortunately, it's, it's right. more normal to have trauma. It's more normal. And, and the, the word trauma is something that also gets confusing because people think that trauma is abuse or trauma is, you know, if they go to the worst, the worst stories that they know and have heard, but in psychotherapy, they talk about big T trauma, little T trauma. You can have a natural disaster hit. You can experience loss like you did with your dad dying when you were six years old and tragically finding him as a six-year-old child. That The way your brain has yet to form at that point and how the wiring happens with survival mechanisms in your cells and in your tissue and in your body as a little child to, to witness something like that as a kid is it ta you you don't just have to work through what psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy does for the mind you have to work through body somatic experience yeah. is the only way to get that stuff sorted out if from 0 to 13 years old we are in delta brainwave theta brainwave and alpha brainwaves we have yet to reach beta beta is the brainwave of the thinking mind that starts around puberty it starts around 12 or 13 years old and we continue on into our adult uh, adult brains that are continuing to develop and we're in that really thinking thinker brain that causes us all so much anxiety <laughs> um but prior to that we experience the world solely through our energetic experience through our bodies what we feel and sense the sensory aspect of little children really gets People talking about muscle memory, that gets stored in our muscles. It gets stored in our yeah. tissue and cells and our fibers of our being. And you start dealing with little T or big T trauma. And, you know, little T trauma can be mom and dad chucked money at me because they work so much. And, and like, 
I, I didn't feel seen or I didn't feel heard yeah. by them. They, they wanted me to go to the best college and be Ivy League. And, and I was praised when I great, did good at sports and got good grades. But what about who I am? And, and parents actually will sit there across the table and talk to you and tell you how proud they are of their child's grades. And it's like, what do they care about? Do you know that? Right. Do you even ask? Right. While you're over here making yourself feel so good because your kids look so great because they got A's. So the fuck what? <laughs> you don't even know who your kids are. You don't know what right. makes their heart tick. You don't know what their value system is because you too, you spent too much time in putting into their minds that their work is solely based on their performance and they will get yeah. your love, which is your approval when they perform well and they'll spend the rest of their lives thinking they're not traumatized. They'll say, Oh, Annalyn, you know, she had sexual abuse as a kid. So she's a traumatized trauma survivor, a traumatized kid. I'm not, my parents, you know, they meant well, they did the best they could. They paid for everything. They gave, they sent me to a great college. That's the reason you're talking to your therapist three times a week, honey. Like (laughs) your trauma is so it's actually way more normal than we realize. No one gets out unscathed. The best yeah. parents, I heard this one psychotherapist, she's so amazing. She's like, you know, my mom is a Jewish mom. She's amazing. Like, she loved me so much. She loved me so much. She's like, honey, I'll do everything for you, you know? And she's like, she goes on about her mom. She's like, her mom, she's like, I won't, I'm like, literally, I'm not going to let my child, I, I've got this. And what does her daughter end up believing about herself? Oh, my mom thinks I'm incapable and inept. So I, I'm oh inadequate God. and have no worth. Like literally, right, you, right. the child's mind doesn't understand the, the adult narratives because the child is not in their mind. They're in their body. So they yeah. experience different energies. And it doesn't matter if you're a fantastic parent, your child's going to have to go through their own perception of what you totally. are or are not. So validating that we all, whether we want to admit it or not, especially the ones that deny it, the ones who are like, I had the best childhood, I immediately, I'm like, red flag. (laughs) You're like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You're like, what happened to you? Because you're disassociating. (laughs) And and that doesn't mean that you don't have amazing humans who are well-intentioned as parents, because there are a lot of those. And I love them because they're all... So are a lot that aren't that. And I'm so grateful to the ones that are well-intentioned. But no one gets out. No one gets out on skates. Yeah, I'm sorry. Definitely it just not. doesn't happen. But yeah, for really, me, you're so right. For me, it's, it's about, okay, so we don't get out unscathed. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. Do we, with our lovely little high horses that everyone seems to be on right now, shame everybody because they didn't know 10 years ago what all the wokesters were going to know in 2021. And and when I say wokester, I mean, you are someone who throws stones at people as if you've never done anything wrong. Right. And you want to cancel a human being because you don't believe in redemption because you've never ever needed any redemption because you're so fucking perfect. Perfect. I am not perfect. I am not a wokester and I will not throw stones when I live in a glass house. I've done fucked up shit. I've done stuff I'm not proud of. And as a result of that, I have a lot of understanding and empathy and compassion for people who are transitioning from a very backwards way of thinking that we lived in all of us. Cause yep. anybody from all of these periods of time, we've all lived through 
these these the systemic racism and and the the subject you know subjugation of women and like all of these different themes we've all seen them we've all experienced them we've all spent a moment being silent perhaps i know i mm -hmm. certainly have I w I've been silent in my life at times when I wish I had a voice to speak up. I look back now and I double down on my voice now because right. I have it to use. I'm not afraid anymore. But to pretend like we should have known this 10 years ago, we didn't. So you want to cry about 10 years ago or you want to pave the path forward? Yeah. For me, these are the conversations that people get scared of talking, saying because they're like, I'm going to get canceled. Like, okay, you know what? I was almost killed at six years old. Go ahead and fucking cancel me. Like, like I'm so scared of your cancellation. Like cancel. <sighs> oh God, it's the worst thing that can happen. But it's really heartbreaking when it happens. When it, yeah. when it's, when all it requires is education. It, yes. There are incidences, and this is moving towards accountability culture. There are incidences where education hasn't done anything. The, right. the, the individual or individuals are fully aware of their behavior and still continuing on that path. And there needs to be repercussion for that. And I am 100% mm -hmm. about accountability. For me, I like to ask, what has shame done for you? How has it held you? How has it loved you? How has it cared for you? How has shame mm -hmm. assisted you in any way, shape, or form in your life? How has shame helped you and your family's lives and the lives of those you love? So while you're over there pointing fingers at someone else and shaming them for all of their wrongdoing, just know shame's coming for you too. And, and if it doesn't serve you now, or it hasn't served you in the past, perhaps think twice about throwing shame and shade on somebody else and when there's room for to share and grow with someone. Again, yeah, accountability absolutely. is an entirely different conversation and it is something that 100% is required. How do we get there? We don't get there through shame. Shame registers in the calibration of human emotion. Dr. David Hawkins did the, spent 30 years doing studying kinesiology and, and logging data on how every human emotion emits a frequency and that is measurable and he measured those emotions for 30 years with thousands of patients and what he came to is that just above death was your shame at the lowest on the scale above being dead the registration mm -hmm. of human emotion the human emotion of shame calibrates wow. so so what are we doing we're killing our world Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. 
Head to factormeals.com slash FMLTalk50 and use code FMLTalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLTalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLTalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. We're killing our world energetically with shame and one of the biggest things about mental health and and centering around stigmatization all that is shame culture this is the age-old shame culture you're crazy there's something wrong with you it's like okay if I have an issue with my liver (laughs) there's nothing wrong with me I just have an issue with my liver if I have an issue with my spleen I go to the doctor no one's gonna make fun of me I have an issue with my brain, the most important part of my entire body that powers everything. I'm made fun of. I'm laughed at for getting help. I'm, I'm called, you know, names and slurs, crazy being a slur in a way. So how does that help me? Again, educate me. How does it help me not be crazy for you to call me crazy? So, so in speaking out about dissociative identity disorder and some of the things that I've been labeled, uh, I feel like it's an invitation to open the conversation of what are we doing, not just like, oh, stop the stigma, like the campaigns are beautiful and they're wonderful and clearly they've done fuck all because we still have so much (laughs) stigmatization. Um, Not to say that people who are trying, it's like, it it does get, it does move the dial, but it's, what really, what we really need are shocking conversations. Like I say things purposefully. Some of the things I've even said here on your podcast, I'm, I know that there, there are things that I shouldn't say that I would get smacked for saying, or you're, you, you need to be careful. You're an actress. You can't say that. Right. I'm like, okay, why, why, why are we here? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? We just go around telling everyone what they're doing wrong and then we die. Like that's what our lives are. Like, what, like what, it's so confusing to me. It's like, okay, you think I'm crazy. I have days where I think I'm crazy. So I agree with you on some days. So some days you're right. I am crazy. I am not crazy across the board and therefore I should not be canceled for being crazy or, or canceled for saying the wrong thing. My, my point, I guess, in all of this is, is, it's something that you and I and Shanae talks about on the show is, can you see a person not for personal attack you assume they're making on you because everyone revolves around you, but can you see right. them for their pain? Yeah. The, the anger you talked about having when you saw your father and he, he died and you're six years old and it turned into anger and, and you didn't really know how to process it. So that's what it developed into acting out as a teenager. There's this beautiful quote that I read that said, I invited my anger in long to have tea with me. And she stayed with oh. me long. She stayed with me long enough to let me know that her real name was grief. Oh, I love that so much. Such a beautiful quote, like oh. rip my heart out. Like, right. Yeah. That's, that's what this world is missing. We don't invite these shameful topics in for tea long enough for them to tell us, I'm scared to be me too. I'm shaming you for being you because I'm afraid to be me fully because I don't know what's going to happen if I get out there and I show myself. It's easier for me to throw stones at you than to look at what stones could be thrown at me. 
And I yeah. think that's, that's where I want to get to with, with this day and age where we have the ability to sit across the world from someone on a Zoom call and, and do a podcast and have a conversation and have someone driving in their car listening with their headphones or whatever it is. So yeah, anyway. Absolutely. Oh <laughs> That's my why God. I'm doing okay, all that, this crazy stuff. That quote like totally knocked me on on my ass. That's so beautiful and so true on on a grand scale that people need to really not only look at their own anger and invite it in, but look at other people's anger and like what could that person be experiencing that my actions are triggering them so greatly and have some some curiosity and some compassion around the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, we need curiosity so, and compassion. So let's take me back to when you first were diagnosed with with everything and and tell me a little bit about what that experience was like and how how you kind of came to terms with understanding what it even was. So I backstory I've been working fighting human trafficking for for 13 years now, it was a quick little moment of actually my show with Shanae, like 90210. I didn't want to do the show. I was having what I call a young life crisis. I was like, I don't want to be an actress anymore. I'm going to work at Starbucks and find a new passion. I'm over this town. I'm over <laughs> Hollywood. I was having a whole meltdown. And I, my acting partner from here in New York, where I am right now, Jessica Minhas, who I love. And I think I talked about her on when you were on the podcast with me and Shanae. She was already heavily involved in humanitarian efforts, and she was like, "Oh my God, you're you've got this incredible platform with 90210. It's built in because of the original show. You can't quit. You have to do this. You you have such an opportunity to help." She was she and I went on the first trip that I took to Cambodia, where I met survivors of human trafficking, the organization that I would go on to work with. And turn my world upside down, changed my life. And then I really had a driving force for continuing what was my dream since I was nine years old to be an actress, but it, I had the what, I knew what I wanted. I never knew why. And then my girls mm. in Cambodia became that why for me. But it was kind of like projection. It was like, I'm going to go help little children and I'll be a great person and I can look at myself in the mirror right. and sleep at night. And I was like, oh, I still can't sleep at night and I don't like the mirror that much. Um, okay, so <laughs> 10 years later, cut to... Um, 2018, I have gone on a giant healing journey starting when I was 25. I've been, I'm about six years in at this point. I've, you know, at this point I'm pretty much fixed. Like I'm perfect now. I'm healed all things. <laughs> I'm doing great in all things. I'm just, I'm all things. I am all. Okay. <laughs> so I start having panic attacks, which I didn't even think were a real thing. I thought they were things that my sister did for attention. Um, apparently they're real. <laughs> and I wasn't perfect after all. God damn it. Um, I <laughs> literally was like, these pesky little panic attacks that I'm having are really a nuisance. So I'm going to go to like a little therapy and just, you know, quickly nip that in the bud. Um, right. <laughs> famous last thoughts um so <laughs> i go to two intake appointments with my doctor who's a phd like background in neuroscience and a specialist in emdr which is eye movement desensitization mm. and reprocessing wonderful treatment for ptsd service post-traumatic stress disorder it's it originated 
for the treatment of PTSD for war veterans and became popular for domestic and sexual abuse survivors. I had a panic attack after reading a book uh, a friend of mine wrote, um, and it, at the end of the book, he goes into his own childhood sexual abuse. My mm. groin started vibrating and buzzing. And I was like, I, never, I don't put two and two together that that's weird. I'm reading about child sexual abuse and right. my own body starts to go like, ah, panic. And I'm like, it's okay, little vagina. You're fine. I'm sending you lots of love with my mindful practice and meditation. And then I'm going to take a warm, soothing shower in which oh I God. had a full-blown panic attack, collapsed, and had to crawl out of the shower. Um, so <sighs> I'm not putting two and two together that this is probably not normal. <laughs> this is probably not typical response to reading a book and, and have, experiencing someone's story that isn't comfortable to, re- to read for sure, but shouldn't make your body go... No, have a physical experience, yeah. Exactly. So I'm not, two and two are not together. It's, I'm still just like, I'm going to go to th- treatment for three weeks and I'll fix all this and I'll be good. Um, three weeks later, I remember my whole life and it's a story that was not the story of my life. Mm-hmm. I remember childhood sexual abuse from age five or six to like 11. And I walk out of this treatment and I literally walked and you'll know my appointment was like downtown Santa Monica. I walked all the way home to Marina Del Rey. Oh my I God. was entranced. I walk, I literally, this is like what, eight miles. I don't know. Like I, I literally was like loopy. I was fully, I was just so I had, I was not, I wasn't a person anymore. Who was I? I lived a life story for 31 years that in 90 minutes of a treatment session with my doctor suddenly wasn't true anymore. And now I was someone else. And I was just like, no, like, no, this is not real. This is not true. This is not my life. Like, I, I help these kids. I help the kids who have, who have sexual abuse stories. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a kid who had sexual abuse. I, I'm and I'm just lost. Like I was completely lost. My body was having all these triggers. So I'm walking down the street. And if you saw me walking down the street, like, and this is where I start, you know, go back into my morbid sense of humor. If you saw me walking down the street, you probably think I was a tweaker because my shoulder just kept ticking like this. And I'm like, ah, oh my God. So my body's going completely kaput because there's so much trapped energy. And I've been yeah. so disassociated for so long. And my doctor had literally told me, she was like, Annalyn, when I, so when you do EMDR, you, it's with the eye movement desensitization reprocessing, what they're doing is they're detaching the memories from your eye movement. Mm. You know how when we dream, our, we have rapid eye movement. That's because imagery yeah. is attached to the movement of our eyes. So our eyes actually move in sync with the memories. So when they detach the eye movement and the memories from each other, you, you get this displaced experience where you get to replace the memory store it and actually make it what's called an explicit memory, which is something that you can, you know, look at time and date and stamp it, put it in a file versus implicit mm. memory. That's just kind of this trigger memory that flies around the brain or gets locked in a bubble, which is what mine and is untouchable and inaccessible for years and years and years. So wow. in the process of this treatment, it's a really profound treatment, but it's, you know, it's destabilizing because 
I pop the bubble and suddenly I've got all these implicit memories flying around my head like feathers in a room and suddenly, you know, any thought that, that triggers is like a vacuum cleaner just sucking up those, those feathers and, and my body was activated as a result because my doctor said I had completely cut off feeling to the body to the extent that like I was so numb and when I used to cut and self-harm, it was because I wanted to feel I, 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 my sensation was very low. I didn't know how low she told me when we use the device for EMDR, which are buzzers in the hand, she gives you the buzzers and she, you know, the doctor asks you, how do you like the intensity or the speed? So she plays with the little toggles and I was like, okay, like slow it down just a little bit. And I'm like, turn up the intensity. She turns up the intensity. I'm like, turn up the intensity. And she's like, turns up the intensity. I'm like, turn up the intensity. She's like, I can't. I can't turn it up anymore. It's all the way at the highest setting. I could barely oh, wow. feel it in my hands. Like it was so, she said, your skin sensitivity was the lowest I've ever seen in the history of my practice. Your skin Jesus. sensitivity was so low. I had experienced so much torture on my body that my body said, you can't, you, I'm going to dull your senses because it's too excruciating to, to experience this. So, so that's, <laughs> that was trapped in my cells, in my muscle, in my tissue, in my fibers of my body. And of course, it was going to talk to me once I had opened the door for it, unbeknownst yeah. to me. So that's what this, this ticking, this, this kind of movement of the body, and it would turn into full-blown what would appear to be seizures, but they were actually memory convulsions where my body would involuntary, involuntarily play out traumas that had happened to me and it was I could feel the inside of my body like ripping I could feel burning sensation I my body would thrust involuntarily as if that was what was going on like it was so it it was happening in 2018 what had happened in 1993 and 1992 and all these like it, it it was horrifying for people to watch because it looked like, you know, all these Catholic churches with their exorcisms. Mm. These kids didn't have demons. They had high, they had priests who were abusing them probably. And then claiming that their trauma played out is a, you know, it needs an exorcism because they have a demon. This was literally what it looked like. It, 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 it was my memories coming up and, and using my body to fully play out. So now I've become co-conscious and I'm aware of a self mm-hmm. that I identify with as Annalyn at 31, who does mindful practice and meditation is very present in her mind and her body as much as she can be. And then I have the other me's and when the memories would come up, I was another me. I was a six-year-old. Mm. I was an eight-year-old. They would take over my body, my facial expressions, my vocabulary. I would think a thought as Anna Lynn, and it would not come out with the thoughts that I, the words that I had created in my mind. It would come out in baby talk, baby vocabulary, oh and baby gosh. sounds. So <sighs> you've got this situation where that's happening to me who's neuroscience obsessed little nerd geek i like literally actually done like a 12-week certificate program with the neuroscience academy like i'm literally obsessed with the brain so you i've got i'm co-conscious i'm me but i'm not me i'm split i'm watching this i've got one part of my brain that's like wow this is incredibly fascinating and the other part of me is like i'm in absolute terror um so so this this dichotomy is happening 
for months and months and months while I'm in treatment five days a week, coinciding EMDR with PT, uh, with, um, SE, which is somatic experience. So I'm doing very powerful, intense breath works, yang, kundalini, uh, any, any form, holotropic breath work, um, any form of, of deep, deep body work to release clearly trapped so that I can ha- get a sense of control because the convulsions would happen on a whim when a treatment would happen. So I, I would see, you know, and to this day, I still have the, the ticks don't, the ticks have never left. So, so if I watch something, a documentary and if the story's a little too close, I, I don't go into a convulsion anymore, but for probably for the rest of my life, I'll have this one shoulder tick where it like I, my, my head, it's always snaps to the left and my shoulder comes up and they like literally meet each other. Like my, I'm punching myself in the chin with my shoulder. Um, it's super strange when you're at a restaurant or like out in public, and like you just start twitching um, on a plane. Like, especially people are like calm and right. quiet and then you just snap really hard to the left and the left. Like so uncomfortable. <laughs> so I obviously made, you know, a way to find the humor in all of this. But but this this journey was this terrifying, fascinating, horrific, exhilarating, releasing, uh complete full body experience of living a life of multiple people, uh, of, of a child that was in 1993 and, and left her body so many times mm-hmm. that coinciding with me being 31 and, and having spent six years of meditation and mindful practice, getting myself into this present moment. So I'm fully present with the complete past. <laughs> and it was this wild experience of, of not knowing when it was going to happen or how extreme it was going to to be i i mean i remember was that <laughs> the last place you want this to happen is like at a pool in vegas you know where oh my god like why are you why are you at a pool in vegas first of all but second of all <laughs> if you're at a pool in vegas maybe don't have a seizure um memory that's like makes you cry out like a little small child but this would happen anywhere and oh, i got wow. really comfortable with shame i got really comfortable with the fact that other people are going to throw shame and shade because they don't know what's going on and if they own knew how much they would open their hearts and their arms right. and, and understand what how, how horrific this probably is for me but across the pool with their tequila shots you know they're just like what's wrong with that bitch over there you know she probably did some weird drug and you know, I was and gonna say I you're <laughs> you're an actress so it's like oh she must be on something like she must be going down a dark rabbit hole because she's in the industry I'm sure there's a ton of that a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I mean, although I'll say, I think I'm a pretty decent actress. I couldn't act this good if I tried <laughs> this. Like I, you know, it's, it, it was, it was such a, I call it a gift now because the, the memories that I have so horrific if the body memories didn't come, I would question whether or not they ever happened. Right. Because right. you just don't think someone does this to a child. It was so far beyond. It was so far beyond just abuse. It was sadistic and torturous and, and, and so 
just impossible to wrap your mind around. And I would never, I would, I would not have been able to really believe my, my ability to believe that this is possible, that a human being can do this to another human. All the stories we hear, all the things we know, still even working with fighting human trafficking and knowing the horrific stories that happened to my girls, even I just wouldn't have been able to wrap my brain around this happening to me. But my body said, you know what? Out of grace, (laughs) I'm going, I'm going to let you flee experience what happened to the little girl. Now that you're safe, now that you have tools in your tool belt to fight and to support yourself and to, to fight back, I'm going to fully let the body express what you went through so that you don't question yourself because everybody else will. And they have so many people. I've got people who are like, what happened? This did not happen to you. You're like people that people that have broken my heart in two because of like, this did not happen to you. You're making this up because this is what I want to be famous for everybody. I want to be famous for having a bunch of identities and trauma and and a horrible, like I want to stop my life in the middle and drop thousands of dollars on high level care, which I'm so grateful that I am in a position to be able to get, which so many people can't and don't have access to. I was so lucky that if this was going to happen to me, that it happened when it did with the resources that I have, that I was able to go on this treatment, but nobody wants to drop thousands of dollars on care for a trauma that someone else did because they wanted to perpetrate their need for pleasure <laughs> onto a small child. You know, I didn't want to stop the middle of my life. It was going all right. I, I thought I was doing okay. And, and I think that, that I, I share this with so many people, family members just saying, no, this didn't happen to you or ostracizing victim because you ruined the family. You're ruining the family. You know, I, I get to understand and live with compassion for those individuals who feel so ostracized because of the fact that, that not only did, you know, did I go through this horrific thing? Then I then relived the horror of it physically and emotionally and mentally. I now get to take with me the, the complete knowledge. Like any there's, I have so I did video journaling and at some point I will share with doctors in a safe way on a panel or something, my, all of the journaling that I did with videos and, and voice memos throughout my treatment, because I don't care. I, I don't care what people think about, you know, or how they'll label me in, in the in the sense of like, you know, what. Go ahead, say say your your worst about me. If if I keep receiving, like you said, the the DMs that you receive from people reading your yeah. book, like if if I if I can help one person feel like I believe you. When everybody else in their family says, no, you, this didn't happen to you. I have, I mean, I have friends who have my story and like the person, the person is still invited to Christmas and, and the, the victim survivor is told like, I don't understand why you're making a big deal and you just, why you won't just come to the holidays. And like, like, oh, because I'm a gazelle and I don't want to be in the hanging out for dinner with a lion. Like, you know, right, right. it's, Ugh. it's, it, so Yeah. It's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot when you, when you think about the intricacies of trauma, one person creates this domino hell effect that just 
spreads the spreads over like tens, hundreds of people, one person needing to get his rocks off. (laughs) And you're like, how, how is that? Like, you know, how are we, how are so unkind and and misunderstanding of the person surviving trying to just get through the day and And the family protect the perpetrators. Totally. Um, and, and it's so not okay. We've had, we've had, um, a good friend of mine, K.L. Randis, who wrote a book called Spilled Milk about her growing up um, being sexually abused by her father. And to see what it does to these innocent children, I it's it's so horrible. And then, you know, you grow up and you have a successful career and you go about your life. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And this is a really hard thing to diagnose. It's not like you know, an easy thing to spot. And people must go around thinking like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? And it's so tough that we can't, you know, the fact that you're speaking out on it and the type of platform that you have and giving people a kind of like, oh, maybe that's what's going on. And maybe I'm not crazy. And maybe this is what's happening to me is a really huge thing. Thank you so much. (laughs) The you know, I, I want to, and I'd love to uh, connect with your friend. Um, I'm sure that she's had quite a dynamic experience. I, I think that's one of the things too, you know, a lot of people share their stories of incest with me mm-hmm. and the pervasiveness of, well, it, even statistics will tell you it's 80% someone, you know, when you're, when you're yeah. dealing with sexual abuses and sexual assaults and all of that, but the pervasiveness of of a trust bond of a biological connection, right? A, 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 a primary caregiver, a biological parent, a, an uncle, a, a close community member, like the way it screws your trust, the way it, the way yeah. it completely skews your belief on love, even your, your experience in a, in a different way is the same where you, you believed the people I love die, that this, the right. people I love go away or die that like, what is it? All of these messages are pointing back at love is bad. Don't love, yeah. don't trust whatever you do, stay away from love and trust. And it's just like fear. It's just like the ego. It's just like that dual aspect of ourselves to, to stop us from the one thing will heal us. I was asked about, what do I fear post-integration? So my altars have integrated and I'm so grateful for that. But post-integration and doing these interviews, I was asked, are you afraid that you'll ever have an experience where your, your other selves just pop out again and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're someone else. And, and I thought about it for a second and I realized it was a good question. (laughs) I was like, you know, the fragmented pieces of me couldn't hold themselves together because it didn't have glue. Mm. And I have this overflowing fountain glue now because glue is true love. It's unconditional love. And I found love of myself. I found compassion for myself. I found, I don't even like to say forgiveness anymore because I had nothing that needed to be forgiven and I had everything that needed to be forgiven. I think forgiveness is this thing where 
it, ins- it implies wrongdoing. And I, I like the word sin. The original meaning of the Hebrew word sin in the, in the Bible, actually, the original mean is missed the mark. Mm. Nothing to do with doing mm. something wrong. It was, a, it was a term that was used for archers when they were teaching archery. When you missed the target, oh, interesting. You didn't, you didn't do something evil. You just missed the mark. And when they sin, and that goes for the perpetrators who perpetrated these these things onto me, they kept missing the mark. And we don't we don't like that, right? We want to measure sin. We want to say your missing mark is worse than my missing the mark is better than her missing the mark. And you know, but the truth is. If this person, and I know now that there are multiple people in my childhood, but singled out incidents with them and then one person long-term, but if Mm. this person had not missed the first mark where that fork in the road began and the tiny choices that led him one after another to miss mark after mark after mark and get all the way to where he would perpetrate this onto a small child, Mm -hmm. if he hadn't missed the first mark, would he have ever missed all the other marks mm. to get to abuse me? And I, and I, these are things I think about in the shower or think about in my bed or think about in, you know, <laughs> meditation or think about when I'm, and I'm a calm state because I really don't think so. I really don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, I want to ruin someone's life and then a domino effect to affect everybody. And then hopefully no one will believe them. Well, they might think that because they don't want to get in trouble. But, but right. for the most part, I don't think even the worst of the worst are malicious in the beginning. I think that piece by piece, they miss the mark. They miss the mark. They miss the mark until at some point they're so far away from the the platform with the bullseye they're shooting out into the forest and hitting deer and you know and it's like it's a whole nother kind of game so for me I, i i i always go back to where have i missed the mark and if i write my mark immediately if i immediately take ownership and accountability and say i'm so sorry I made a mistake here. I missed the mark on that. Let me, let me adjust. Let me fix it. Let me set my sights again. I'm a lot less likely to go all the way down the rabbit hole, missing marks to where I cause real damage. We have mm-hmm. the right to hurt people. We don't have the right to harm them. I, I believe that you can say the truth and someone can get hurt. But, but if it's the truth and it was necessary and you said it with kindness, you have the right to do that. And they have the right to get hurt. When you start causing harm with what you say, which is what we have in the world now, we have people causing harm and then people causing harm back to fix the harm that was caused so that we somehow stop harm from happening with more harm. The right. logic lacks greatly. But, mm-hmm. but telling the truth and it, it being a hurtful thing to someone, it, it hurt the people in that I, the people that I was talking about that, that told me that my memories are not real. It hurts them. Every time I say that my memories are real, they get hurt. I have right. the right to hurt them because my, my story is true. But, yeah. but they're getting there. I'm not harming them. I'm not harming them. I was harmed because of something missing the mark. And these are these 
aspects of my journey have all come up and come to fruition, not because I looked at myself from the standpoint of, oh, poor Annalyn had a horrible life. I did that for her too. She needed that support and understanding. <laughs> but I also said, I also said, hey, like, where have you caused harm? Let's look at that. Let's, I got really honest with my shadow. I was like, damn, bitch, you nasty. Like, <laughs> wow. Wow, girl. Like, oh shit. Like, that was, whoo. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there, there was a moment, you know, where I had to really face the music. And that meant looking in the mirror and seeing not the, the little chick who went to Cambodia to help children, but the chick who was, was, really manipulative and a pathological liar and and was a cheater and like did all these things desperate find love anywhere and if I didn't you know sex was so married to love that I thought they were the same thing and like Mm. if my partner didn't want to have sex with me it meant I wasn't lovable anymore and I was disgusting and so I would you know temporarily break up with them to go feel love from somebody else and this transactional form of love that we right. all are taught in some way, whether it's I perform for my boss so they approve of me like my parents, the way they taught me performance-based love, or whether it's giving my body over for love or selling my body for love but for actual money. Like We all make these transactions in love in the age of capitalism because we want to buy. I, I did a, a, like a spoken word poetry thing. We want to buy approval and exchange it for love. And... What I found was that I was doing that with myself. Everything that that had been done to me, I became my own abuser. And it wasn't until I saw the abuse I had perpetrated onto myself, the, the, the sexual situations that were so harmful to my person that I put myself into, the, the, the self-talk that was so hateful, the attempts on my life that showed me that I meant nothing in the world. All of these things were things I did to keep my little Anna inside terrified of me. Of course, I was never going to remember my memories. She didn't have a safe house to live in. I was the one abusing her. Where was she going? Who was she going to run to? Not to me. I wasn't going to help her. So, so I had to come all the way back to this realization that I had taken on the keys to my own shackles and I had kept myself enslaved for all the years after I was actually free. And this, this transition for me now into this kind of this new state where I, I, we launched a campaign called the love storm with my organization. And it was because I learned to turn the storm that was inside me into love. And I, mm. I found those keys, the rusty keys that I had taken over and locked myself away with. And I unlocked that prison and I let myself out. And with that, I actually had the right to fight slavery because I stopped being a slaver myself. And I had been enslaving little Anna trapped inside me, not allowing her to be who she really is for all these years. So I had no business speaking against slavery because I was a part of it. I was a part of the thought system that creates the idea of slavery. I had to get honest with myself. I had to set myself free. And now the love storm is about personal stake and this individual fight to end human trafficking in modern day slavery, but ending slavery from the inside out, mm. releasing ourselves, setting ourselves free so that we can set the world free. 
Oh, that's so beautiful. It, it, the work that you are doing in that space is so powerful and so necessary. And I feel like now that you've, you know, had these memories come back and are on this like different journey, it kind of makes it all the more like powerful for you because you've, you've been that person, you know, you've been the girls that you're, you're trying to go help and save. A hundred percent. It's so full circle. And my doctor said, you, you did this all backwards. You actually right. built a whole community around yourself. And then you remembered your life and you have, I literally, it was like 10 days after my memories came back, I just booked a direct flight to Cambodia one way. And I was just like, I, I called the founder of the organization and I said, I'm flying to Cambodia. I'm not coming as the president or ambassador. I'm coming as a little girl you need to save because I'm a mess right now. And two of the girls who I put through college for psychology were my 24 seven care through the night. Like it was the most full circle, beautiful thing I could have ever hoped for. And, and I'm so grateful that I, that if I had to have this experience, that this is how it played out. And so many people don't have that experience and don't have that support. And for me, it's, that's a big part of why I am, a, I'm going to be blazing this trail for the rest of my life so that we connect and we unite because it's only with unity consciousness, with a connectedness <clears throat> and the awareness of our interconnectedness, we can really heal because we have to do it united. We can't, we can't heal on an island all by ourselves. Isolation is a fear-based mentality. Unity and, and the sense of, of union and community that love brings is, is the way forward in my, in my, in my book. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Um, I read, I don't know if I read it or I saw it somewhere, but you had talked about when you were shooting one of the seasons of 90210 that your character had to, got raped. You had to shoot a rape scene. Was that before you came to terms with what had happened to you as a child or was that after? Did that, what did that trigger for you? Yeah, I actually, that was I mean, my memories came back only two and a half years ago. So, okay, so that was way before. Coming up on, coming up on. Yeah, so this was way, way before. I, I had experienced sexual assault when I was 19 years old by a quote-unquote friend who had crashed at my house, and I woke up and he was taking advantage of me. And the, the, one of the scenes of 90210 not the rape scene, actually, uh, that I was like, choreographer. I was working with the choreographer and we were planning out the details. And I was like, yeah, this will be great. Like we'll do it like this. And we'll do it. Like I couldn't have been more disassociative. <laughs> the disassociation right. can be a gift. I will <laughs> say. Um, but the, uh, um, the scene that oh, it was a scene that would play out weeks and weeks after episodes later where my character, Naomi was coping with what had happened that I had a trigger and it just it like burst into tears. I ran off set. It was a, it was a really intense moment. Um, but then I would, my mind, my brain would shut it out for another, you know, and one thing that I think there's a, there's a little discrepancy in people's understanding about disassociation. So denial is a conscious decision to suppress a thought or a feeling or a memory or a belief. Disassociation is a system override. It is your brain saying you are not capable mm. of coping with this information. You are going to not know it. 
delete and it erases it from your conscious mind or it stuffs it so far in the back of your mind that you, you, it just goes away. You, you don't stop thinking about it. You don't deny it. You lose it from your awareness. And the brain does that to protect us. So there is, that's an important thing to be aware of. Yeah, totally. And so once all of these things flooded back and you say that every, all the personalities um, or memories have integrated now, how many were you able to identify before that happened? I know you spoke about the little girl um, who you would, you would actually speak as a little girl, which is so traumatic and fascinating at the same time to, to think of that, you know, as an adult that you start speaking as this little girl that was so wrongfully harmed, but how many different, um, memory, is it, what's the technical term? Memories? Identities. Identities. So, yeah. So they, they're still working through the language. Ugh, people, so I saw an interview today that I did and they called them personalities again. And it's, it makes it difficult because it gives the wrong idea. Do, not that the word itself is incorrect, but the connotation we put on personality yeah, totally. is, is incorrect and in regards to this. So it's a disassociation from, from the, the singular identity of yourself into multiple identities. So into this kind of fragmentation. It's as if I, I, I took a, a glass and shattered it. It, that was one glass. It was one whole piece. Those are now just pieces of that one. I didn't go grab a stained glass piece from the local church. You know what I mean? So right, it's, right. it's not a separate personality. It's, it's just a social identity of the whole of the original one. So mm. yes, uh, to think about the child voice is the most overt, like, holy shit moment. But my voice would change all the time. My voice would change with my dictator self, which was... Uh, the me who couldn't get anything right as a kid. It was just like, there were always two still crumbs on the floor or still, you know, it was just like, cause there, I, I remember asking my father one time as a kid, I was like, could you just tell me one time when I do it? Right. Could mm. you just tell me one time when, because every time that it was done, right. No one said anything. It was just like, right. that was how it was supposed to be done. But I was like, could you just let me know when I get it correctly done? Because I, I all I hear, and I probably got in trouble for that, but I, I, it was so, it's so impossible for a child to, to just constant for a human to constantly hear what they got wrong. And I was so tired of the world ending and it was too terrifying. So I created an altar that, or my beautiful brain created an altar that was insufferable and always right. <laughs> mm. And and I was, I mean, the, the worst part about it was that I wasn't wrong. I would not speak unless I was right. And then I would yeah. speak with so much dogmatism and I would be so insufferable and so intolerable and just, it, just horrible for people close to me because I was right. And I actually genuinely was fucking right. <laughs> and so you right. couldn't fight me and I would, and, and I couldn't see the light because for me to get it wrong was the end of the world. And that was such a, such a early developed fear that, that, you know, me contemplating being kind to you for getting it wrong was not a possibility. Everybody gets treated badly when they do it wrong. I remember. So I have to just carry on the torch of treating you badly because I'm the one who's right now. And 
so there was there was that lovely little individual. She was sort of my shadow self. Um, then there was um, my my younger sister still refers to my anytime I say anything that I know anything about, she calls it a subject matter expert because I could be very condescending. Um, mm-hmm. But I would take on this like. I am a studier of all things knowledgeable and I'm going to impart my wisdom upon you, child. Um, so Rachel called me a SME, <laughs> a subject matter yeah. expert. Um, and that, that part of me might still be a very alive and well part of me, but I, <laughs> she's, she's fully in flow now <laughs> because I'm like, listen, I, I do know shit, bitch, so listen. Um, but she, she, Rachel, Rachel's so funny because she always finds the humor like me. And she's like, I mean, my morbid sense of humor doesn't come close to hers. But um, <laughs> but so that, that I wouldn't say it's a, so much of a complete alter. I think it's just that, you know, it's, it's an air of of condescension that I could probably do without. Um, <laughs> um, it's so, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about it. And I so appreciate it because it's normally heard from a very clinical standpoint um, and a very stigmatized standpoint. And I think the humor that you bring to it and the levity that you bring to it and your openness to be able to talk about it is really going to start changing a lot of the ways that people communicate and learn and, and educate themselves around it. I appreciate that. I really hope so. And and one of the things I I like to say too is (sighs) I think the statistics are grossly inaccurate. They say one to 2% of the population likely have disassociative identity disorder. I think every single one of us, well, every single one of us is on the spectrum of disassociation, which is a vast spectrum. And we all disassociate in some capacities. Our brain does it to, like I said, to protect us. But all of us have the wounded child all of us have, you know, that that parenting self that has that that steps in when there's a little child crying, and you know, if you saw a child crying on the ground, most people's response is to go and just step in, and like, yeah. if you don't see someone there, like, honey, are you okay? Where's your mommy? Like, you know, like that parenting self, and and you notice how my voice changes and talking to the child, and then that adult mm-hmm. self who's like the handling, living the life, whatever. We wouldn't see that as disassociative identities because they, we wouldn't see it as a split during trauma. But the wounded child right. certainly isn't a split because he's super happy. <laughs> it's called the wounded child. Right, right. right. So, so there is an aspect of us that, that alters ourselves in little tweaks, right? The masks we wear, and I don't mean the COVID-19 sure. masks. The the masks we, life masks. Yeah, the life masks we wear. And I always use the the who you're you are at the dive bar on Friday night is not who you are Sunday morning singing choirs music or whatever whatever yeah. you believe, you know, <laughs> uh at mass or in the synagogue or, you know, doing your prayer to Allah. But you you you're gonna you're gonna do a little little tweak, you know, a little shift here, a little shift there based on the types of people you're around, based on whether or not they approve you or not, what you're... So we all kind of do these identity, identity shifts. And I think that what, what we can do to understand someone with DID is to realize that we have a sprinkling of something that a person with DID 
has no choice over. They, their system decides for them. It is unsafe to be the girl you were at the dive bar Friday night on Sunday morning at, at whatever service you're at. Right, right. You must become something else. And then that something else becomes you and you become it. And they, mm-hmm. there's no flow bet- between these, these mass, the, the masquerades, right? So that's, that's how we could possibly start to understand it and, and in a less clinical and stigmatized and more human way. Yeah. Totally. Oh my God, this has been so freaking fascinating. And thank you for being so open and, and sharing all this with us. Can you tell everybody where they can find you to continue following your journey? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I am on Instagram and Facebook at the Annalyn McCord, T-H-E-A-N-N-A-L-Y-N-N-E-M-C-C-O-R-D. And you can follow the work I do with my charity at The Love Storm if you want to check out when we're going to have virtual events or events in your neck of the woods as the world begins to open up. We'll be doing city tours again and continuing this conversation of raising awareness to fight modern day slavery, specifically fighting slavery from the inside out. Beautiful. Thank you so much, girl. I so appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I want to again, thank Annalyn so much. She is one of the busiest women in Hollywood. So I'm so grateful that she was able to come on and do an episode of FML Talk. And make sure you guys check out her new podcast called Unzipped that she does with Shanae Grimes, who will also be coming on for an episode later this month. I went on and did an episode of their show and had such a ball chatting with both of them. I've listened to a few of their episodes and it's a really fun girl talk vibe of a podcast. So highly recommend. Okay, it is about that time. We are going to jump into some of your personal FML stories. Here we go. Hi, Gabrielle. My name is Christy, and this is my FML moment. I met my ex-husband in 2010. We got engaged in 2011. We got married in 2012. Everything was good. We had my daughter in 2013. He struggled with parenting a little bit. Uh, We coped with that. Everything was okay. In 2015, in June, he came home from a fishing trip with his friend and looked like he had seen a ghost. He sat down in front of me with a manila envelope in his hand, told me to pour myself a drink dramatically because that's the type of person that he is looked at me straight in the face with our almost two-year-old right next to me and said, I have a daughter. I sat there and looked at our daughter and said, yeah, she's right there. He says, no, I have another daughter. Turns out this asshole cheated on me in the first six months that we were together and dating. This psycho told him he was the father and asked for money. My idiot of a then boyfriend did not ask for a paternity test, but instead paid this psycho behind my back for four years child support. Not ordered by the courts, it was hush money for her. First thing I did after hearing this whopper of a story was ask for a paternity test. 
She drug her feet all the way down to that testing center. Turns out it was not his child. So after dealing with that more bad behavior, I finally divorced him last year in 2020. Best thing I ever did. Now I have a fabulous boyfriend who is far better to me than I would ever deserve. Love him to the moon and back. And the ex-husband is now dating a 19-year-old barista he met while working. I win, he loses. That's my story. Oh my God, girl. I <laughs> Every twist and turn of that story, I was like waiting for the other shoe to drop and it just kept getting worse and worse. Um, first of all, the stupidity of someone to pay money without having proof that the kid is actually yours. I mean, I just don't understand why anyone would would ever do that. I need to know things. Like, did he get any of that money back? Like, what happened once he found out that he wasn't the father? Oh, my God. Unreal. And then ends up with a 19-year-old. Why are they always 19? The amount of stories I get and DMs I get with with that specific age number, um, I, I don't know what it is. It's it's wild to me, but good for you, girl, for for taking your baby girl and filing for divorce. And I'm hoping that you are happy and over the moon with all of that toxic nonsense out of your life, because fuck that shit. You guys, next week, I am so stoked. Um, my good friend who most of you probably know, Tori Deal from MTV's The Challenge is going to be with us. Um, We recorded this episode quite a while ago, and I have been waiting for the perfect time to air it. Tori and I became friends um, a few years ago when she discovered Eat, Pray, FML, and she was kind of like the first bigger influencer, as much as I hate that fucking word, um, to, to post about it and really like get behind it. And she's just such an awesome human being. I totally adore her. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview. I've done episodes on her podcast, Tori Dealing With, which if you have not checked out, you should definitely go do that. She's on hiatus right now, but you can go back and binge them. They're cute little 15-minute episodes, and they're perfect to kind of have like an appetizer before you listen to FML Talk. Um, So I cannot wait for next week for you guys to listen to that interview and meet Tori and have all the fun that we have. It's a good one. As always, make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. If you are not hanging out with us on the Patreon subscription, I highly suggest you check that out. It is $5 a month, less than a cup of coffee. You get access to the private Facebook group that has a ton of incredible people lifting each other up and supporting each other, daily self-love practices, behind the scenes of the Eat, Pray, FML trip photos and sneak peeks into book number two, which we are getting very, very close to. Dun, dun, dun. With that subscription, you also get 10% off of all of your merch and bonus episodes. There are full seasons of 15-minute mini bonus episodes. The first season is completed, and that was all about relationships and FML's guide to relationships and all the different stages of fuckboys and dating apps and bachelorette parties, and I dropped some big 
secrets that I have never talked about publicly, which is why it's only shared on the subscription site. And this season, we are in full swing with Tea Time with Tay. Um, And it's been really awesome to have a well-rounded man's perspective on all the stuff that we normally dish on. So if you are not hanging out with us on the subscription site, you can go to patreon.com slash FML talk to come join the party. Make sure you are keeping up with us on Instagram at FML talk podcast for all the behind the scenes goodies. And I will see you all next week. Until then, have a big ass self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.